Our Old Testament lesson this morning, as Kathy alluded to earlier, comes to us from the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verses 6 through 18. I invite you to follow along in your scripture if you like, that are, if you have it on your phone, if you brought your Bible with you, or just sit and listen as the word washes over us. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to aid, to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. We are in the second week of our discipleship series called The Power of Promise, where we're exploring the different types of promises that we make to God and one another and the promises that God makes to us. I give thanks for this chance to share in this season and that as we begin this series, as we continue this series, we get to do it together. I was beginning to think that I was bad luck because last time I was scheduled to be back in the sanctuary, you know, Michael and I, we rotate between the sanctuary and Moore Hall as to who preaches where. And last time I was scheduled to be in here, Hurricane Sally came ashore. And on Monday, I was scheduled to be in here this week as well, and all of a sudden there's a Hurricane Delta. Now, thankfully it did not come our way, but it's always such a hard feeling, right, to be grateful when we know that other people are being affected. And so our prayers are with all those in our own community that continue to recover from Hurricane Sally and with those who have been affected by Hurricane Delta, as well as those who have been affected by Hurricane Laura and all these other storms. 
I'm glad that we are part of a community that continues helping one another during these times of need. But as we think about the power of promise, this morning I would like to talk about promises over predictions. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, we can do better than that, friends. We might be wearing masks, but we're not quiet. We're, we're Methodists. We get excited sometimes. And all God's people said, oh, that was good. That was good. It's like we got the place all filled up. You know, one of the things that Michael and I first bonded over when he began working with us was our affinity for sports talk radio, and specifically sports talk podcasts, particularly podcasts on the Ringer Network. Michael tends to favor the Bill Simmons podcast. I often listen to the Ryan Rossillo podcast, but both personalities are friends and they cross over to each other's weekly shows. For a while there, though, sports content was slim pickings during these corona times where there's not... We went months without any live sports to fill the time for the people who have conversations about sports. They had to instead talk about sports history or cultural and current events or the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. If you didn't watch it, it's on Netflix. It's really good. You should check it out. But a few weeks back, the professional and collegiate sports leagues decided to bring back the games we love. I'm sure we all spent some of our time yesterday or in recent days watching some Southeast, Southeastern Conference football or wherever your team might be. But before the pundits could reflect on games and before the players and coaches got to do their post-game interviews or before August and I were able to sit in my red recliner each evening and watch the Braves baseball games as I try to help her learn good from bad, Braves from Yankees, the sports podcasters had to do the thing for which they are most praised and criticized for. They returned to making predictions, right? The television and radio rankings and ratings, they, they, tell you, they, they paint a picture for us that we love when people make predictions. That's why there are so many people in the prediction-making business, right? It gets our attention. It's our favorite part of the college game day on ESPN. Predictions are the articles we're most likely to read. They're the things we're most likely to talk about with our coworkers and our friends. And we like all types of predictions, regardless of whether they are positive or negative for the teams for which we root. If they're positive predictions, we get optimistic and we get to be, have something to root for. If they're negative predictions, we have something to lament and something to root against. We're people that are somewhat obsessed with predictions and it's not just confined to sports. This obsession is in other ways, in other parts of our lives, right? There are a lot of people making predictions about an upcoming election. There are people who are focused on predictions about the path of Hurricane Delta all throughout the week. When the Oscar nominees are announced, we make predictions about who's gonna get the best picture. And when a couple is expecting a baby, we predict whether it will be a boy or a girl. 
You know, there's an excellent article that Michael shared with our staff recently by Andy Crouch and David Blanchard titled, Designing for a Different Future, Prediction and Promise. In this article, the authors write about the relationship predictions and, uh, between predictions and promise, and it's a juxtaposition that I've never really considered before. I never thought about the two being compared to one another, predictions and promises. You see, we are people prone to prediction, but predictions lack the power that promises have. Predictions are not commitments to a future reality. They are uncertain prognostications as to how things will unfold. We cling to predictions as a means of comfort, even more maybe as a means of control. Predictions about the future make us feel like we have some part to play in shaping the circumstances that are just outside of our reach. If we can guess what's going to happen, it makes us feel better about the circumstances as they unfold. But what we end up realizing, especially when predictions go awry, is that we actually have very little impact on the goings-on in this world. They write in the article, how many of us, this was written during the coronavirus times, the corona times, as we've been, you know, we, we've, got, we've got ordinary time in the church, we've got Lent, we've got, we, right now we're in the corona times. How many of us over the past few weeks and months have spent huge amounts of time and energy seeking some kind of reliable prediction of what is coming next? Yet even after all that effort, We've also found ourselves strangely immobilized and unable to act. We spend a great deal of time living in the shadow of predictions. Yet all of that effort yields very little positive impact for our actual lives. But take a moment with me, if you will, and let's look back at Ruth. In this morning's text, we see a very different reality, and not just because it is set in a very different time than our own. In this text, Ruth does not live in a world of predictions. She doesn't tell Naomi how everything is going to turn out. She doesn't say, I bet if we stay together, everything will be perfect. She doesn't predict that things will be better for them if they just stay there with Naomi's people. She simply makes a promise. She promises that where Naomi goes, she will go. Where Naomi stays, she will stay. Naomi's people will be her people. Naomi's God will be Ruth's God. She says, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely if even death separates us. And in that promise, Ruth binds herself to Naomi. And she generates a power far greater than any prediction could ever produce. In that promise, there's the power of community, of support, of friendship, of comfort, of safety, of so much more. If you think about it, we're all bound by countless little promises every day. We're all living within many assumed promises that the authors of this article describe like an umbrella of trust. Almost every human interaction takes place beneath the auspices of this trust umbrella. They write, we set a time to meet with a new acquaintance for coffee, and the very fact that both of us arrive, we purchase our beverages and sit down together, 
establishes a few minutes of trust within which a kind of conversation can happen that would not if it merely met on the street. Likewise, I bet both of us don't think about it this way, but they point out that our jobs are underneath an umbrella of trust. With our employers, we make a set of mutual promises, not lifelong or even necessarily exclusively to this one organization, but they're promises that are robust, robust enough that we do not have to renegotiate our terms of engagement every morning when we come to work. And if we take this metaphor just a little deeper, the coffee meeting happens under the umbrella of the coffee shop amid implied promises about hours, cleanliness, and so forth. The coffee shop in turn operates within a town or a city that promises certain kinds of securities and opportunities within a market that establishes a medium of exchange and accounting for value. There's little promises that just kind of dominate the everyday life that we never think about. They're just there. Our society is built on the power of little implied promises every day. It's what keeps the order from the chaos. Whether we think about it consciously or not, we're all bound to one another by little bitty promises that rule some of our lives, parts of our lives. But there is a shadow side to a society ordered by promises. And that shadow side becomes ever present in darkness when a person or a group or a nation breaks assumed or negotiated promises. When we go back on our word, when we violate the commitments we've made, when we internally deviate from a bond that creates harmony in society. When we do these things, darkness rears its ugly head. Crouch and Blanchard write, predictions fail, promises are broken. You see, there's power in a promise kept, but there's a different kind of power in a promise that is broken. And that power is much greater than any failed prediction. If a prediction fails, you just make another one. People do it every day. Our modern economy is made up of analysts and traders making predictions and then based on the results, predicting something else. There's a little depth of meaning beyond the surface of a correct or incorrect prediction. But when a promise is broken, you're left with shattered trust and a spiritual wound. The authors of this article, they believe that the root cause of so much of the real suffering around the world is not failed predictions. It's not that we didn't see how things were gonna go, but it's broken promises. When marital vows are broken, there is hurt for the members of the couple, but also by those that are impacted by the power of that promise, by the children, by parents, by siblings, by friends. When we break a promise we've made to our employer, it costs us our job and the relationships we've built. When we shatter the promise we've made of friendship by not being there during a time of need, we put at risk the well-being of somebody we care about. A broken promise is a power unlike any other. But this morning, as we continue throughout this series, we come to a moment where we are all given the chance to collectively admit to something we already know, but might be apprehensive to say aloud. In just a moment, we're gonna receive communion, but before we do, we say silently in our hearts and we confess in prayers out loud that we have all sinned. 
We have failed and we have fallen short of the glory of God. We have all broken promises. We've broken promises to God. We've broken promises to ourselves. We've broken promises to the people in this room. When we sin, we are breaking our covenant with God. When we sin against our fellow human beings, we are demeaning their personhood and breaking the promises inherent in our shared society. When we undervalue ourselves, we fail to see that we are made in the image of God. And as a church, we have all made a promise to one another. We've made a covenant to one another that we will offer our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our witness, and our service. And I'm here to confess and to admit that I have broken that promise. There have been times where I've not prayed as I should. There have been times where my witness has not lived up to the life that God has called me to live up to. I am a sinner. And I would guess that that's probably the same for a few people in this room. And one of the things about being a family and that's what we are, we're a church family, is that we admit and we confess and we say we are not perfect. We don't pretend to be something we are not. We have all failed in one area or another, not just in making predictions, not just thinking about how things will go, but in the promises we've made. But if you ever pick up this article, this article about promises and predictions, you'll come to the crux of the piece and realize that the good news is something is possible for broken promises that is not possible for failed predictions. And that is redemption. Through a mysterious process that has always involved repentance and forgiveness, the trust that was broken when we failed our promises can be restored even stronger than it was before. The beauty of God's grace is that it is new every morning and that it offers us the chance for redemption, to be reconciled with God and one, with one another and with ourselves, to ask for forgiveness from God, to be made right through the power of Jesus Christ. That is the good news of the gospel, that in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. There's nothing you've done, there's no promise you've broken they cannot be redeemed. There's no one in here who cannot be reconciled. There's no one who's watching online who cannot be reconciled to God and to any person that they have wronged. Through the power of the promise, we find the potential for reconciliation. Each day we are offered the chance to ask for forgiveness, to redeem a promise that we have broken but please hear me say, redemption does not mean repetition. It doesn't mean things will go back to the way they were before we broke the promise. Because there are certain broken promises in life where the wounds are very deep. If a relationship is impacted by a broken promise, healing and reconciliation doesn't mean that the affront is forgotten. One doesn't forget the sting of a broken promise. But it does mean that forgiveness is possible. This is true for both the relationships we have with one another and for our relationship with God. God will not undo our wrongs simply because we've asked for forgiveness. There are still consequences for our actions. Forgiveness does not mean everything is forgotten. But the potential for redemption 
and reconciliation is there for those who seek it, is there for you this morning. If there's a relationship in your life for which you need to be reconciled, that reconciliation is possible because of the power of the promises God has made to us and the promise that we've made to one another. The last quote in this article, and I'll uh, leave us here, is this, that it really stuck with me and it will stick with me. The real work of our lives is not simply to make and keep promises, but to mend and restore the damage of broken promises. Indeed, if you really want to die to yourself, don't just make and keep promises, but face up to a promise you made and then broke. Today, and throughout the rest of this whole series, we have a chance for us to see the power of God's promises to us and the power of the promises that we make to one another. If you've made a promise to God in the past and have failed, if you have broken that promise, if you promise to read your Bible more every day and it lasted for about three days, if you promised that you would watch church the whole time that we were not together, if you, if you promised that you would forgive somebody that you haven't forgiven, if you promised any of the things that you might have promised and that promise is broken, don't let the guilt be the end of your relationship with God. If you've broken a promise or if a promise was broken to you with someone you love, whether it's a child or a friend, an acquaintance, don't let a broken promise be the end of relationship because we believe that through the power of Jesus Christ, there's the potential for redemption, the possibility of reconciliation. God's mercies are new each and every day to redeem our failures, to restore the world. Let today or sometime over the next few weeks be a chance for us to confess that we have sinned against God and against one another. And let it also be a chance for us to find the forgiveness that God offers us and ask for forgiveness from those that we have hurt. And let us recommit ourselves during this series over the next two weeks after today, and we'll do it together collectively, but if you're not with us, don't miss the chance to recommit yourself to the promise that you've made to this church. To offer to God and to one another your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness. Let that be a promise that we try our best to live up to. And when we fail, let it not be the end, but a chance for redemption. Because that's the power that our promises have. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for what you offer us through your son, Jesus Christ. The forgiveness for sins through the resurrection of the body. We ask for your reconciliation and your redemption for the times that we have failed. And help us to admit to ourselves and to one another where we can grow and how we can be more like you so that your image that has been born within us can shine to the world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said,